You're listening to Wide Atlantic Weird, the podcast that covers tales of the supernatural, conspiracies and urban legends to find out exactly why people believe weird things. I'm Kean, and I've got to admit that it's been rather a long time since our last episode. All I can say is, well, life got in the way. But now, here in the Wide Atlantic Weird cabin, winter has truly set in. Bare branches are tapping on the window of the cabin, the sound of falling rain forms a relaxing backdrop, and a merry fire is burning in the hearth. So I think finally we're nicely set up for a new episode. An episode that focuses on stories of ghosts and spectres. December, not October after all, was the traditional time for telling ghost stories, at least for the Victorians. And as we'll later discuss, the Victorians' own tradition of ghostly fiction was indeed instrumental in forming our current ideas of what ghosts really are, what they look like, and how they behave. Now, as you know, the Wide Atlantic Weird Cabin is situated in a woodland somewhere in Essex, the so-called Witch County. But of course, most of England abounds in local ghost stories. Without having to go more than a few minutes from the cabin, I can tell you there is a pub somewhere near here that was treated to an exorcism in the 1920s, there's a ruined manor house where undead faces have been seen pressed against the broken windows, and there's even a spectral highwayman dangling from the tree where he was hung in ages past. My guest today specialises in tracking down such local stories wherever they occur. She is Faye Sewell, one half of the team behind the YouTube show The Ghost Trail. In this interview, we discuss what exactly it takes to produce a series like this, the highs and the rather dodgy lows of paranormal television, the difference between different kinds of hauntings, including the infamous stone tape or recording theory, and of course, Faye shares some of her favourite stories from her adventures investigating England's weirdest locations. While it might have been appropriate for us to have enjoyed some spirits during this interview, I recall that it was in fact rather early in the day, so we downed nothing stronger than a fine Colombian coffee while recording. I have the tape here, ready to go, so why not grab a beverage yourself? Welcome to Wide Atlantic Weird. Uh, this is Kian. I am here reporting from an undisclosed location somewhere in north but fairly central London. Is that fair? Yeah, that's about right. Yeah. Uh, with me today, my guest is, um, shall we say, filmmaker, actress, and writer of novels and all around friend of the show, Faye Sewell. Faye, great to have you here. Great to be here. Thank you for having me. Uh, I've been trying to, or I've been thinking about getting you on the show for some time. There are various things that you have in your life that are of interest to me and and connect in some way to the show but uh, the reason we have you on today is, is is really really something I'm very excited about you have put together a YouTube uh, ghost hunting show called the ghost trail season one has just wrapped is that correct 
Uh, yeah, we've got season one out, and then we've started drip feeding season two already. So I think we've got three episodes of season two out, and we've got a few more coming out over the next few weeks. Fantastic. So that's the I have a funny relationship with paranormal TV shows. We did discuss this before, and I did say this is not necessarily going to be a puff piece because people have different attitudes towards, you know, supposed supernatural things. Um, and this format is one that I'm, I go back and forth on, but I wouldn't be here talking to you if I didn't think the show was great and I didn't think it was worth watching. So I think we're going to have a constructive conversation about your show, these kind of shows in general, and in particular, like what you're hoping to do differently and how to, how to kind of elevate the format. Oh, that's really nice. Thank you. I'm really <laughs> glad you enjoyed it. <laughs> I do. I, I try to. I try to be positive <laughs> about this stuff. Um, Faye, I remember you telling me a few things um, when we were in Cork years ago about some of your ghost hunting exploits. Um, is there anything you could tell us about how you got into this this sort of thing? Yeah. So I've always been interested in the paranormal. Um, got into a paranormal investigation group over in Cork, which I literally found just by googling them. <laughs> Um, and they were a really good, like, really nice bunch of people. Um, and we had a few quite interesting experiences at different locations. But when I left the country, um, obviously, I just sort of left that behind. Um, and I did miss it. And then it just so happened that I was hanging out with another actor, and she mentioned Strange But True. And I don't know if you remember that series. Yeah, I, rem <laughs> I remember Strange But True, yeah. Um, and it turned out that when both of us were little, it was our very favourite TV programme. Um, I was so obsessed with that show that once one of my friends cried because she was frightened by the reconstruction and my mum switched it off and I would rather she was sent home and I got to watch the show. <laughs> so, so clearly I was a bad friend, but I just really loved that show and I didn't want to have to wait till the next day when she was gone so I could watch it. So we both realised how much we'd loved the show and that there was kind of nothing around like that that we were aware of currently. And we both bonded over a hatred of... I think everyone knows what I'm talking about. Those sort of, <laughs> those sort of paranormal shows where they just turn all the lights out. People scream a lot. You did, hear did you hear that? Yeah. <laughs> Is it most... Are you talking about most haunted? Yes, I am. Yeah, I think, yes. let's just, get, just put that on the table. I think everybody knows. Yeah, and the sort of the bang. Oh, my God, oh, my God. And you can't really see what's going on. And let's face it, it's probably the crew knocking something <laughs> over. Um, and we both hated it so much. And we were just saying, like, why hasn't anybody done something that's more story-based, that's more interesting, whether you're a sceptic or a believer or somewhere in the middle, that everybody, there's something in it for everybody, basically. So that's what we set out to do. Great. So, yeah, I mean, I, I know those shows. They're hokey. They're very samey. I, I, I mean, I was listening to a podcast recently about people who specialise in analysing that sort of paranormal TV, and they basically point out that from, like, the first episodes of particularly British shows like Most Haunted in about, I think, like, 2002, maybe right up until today they're all the exact same format the episodes are the same you know and and nothing they're not moving the 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 study forward you know as a genre or as a as an area of maybe science is too strong a word but as an area of investigation they're not adding anything are they they're they're no. just they're fun yeah <laughs> people and people enjoy them and there's a huge market for that but Tell us a little bit about um, your show, Ghost Trail, and what's different about it, or what, what, what are you looking to achieve with it? So when we started out, we, I think, focused slightly more on the investigation side of things, because obviously we both are really interested in the idea of capturing something unique on camera, recording something that no one else has recorded before, you know, it's the usual kind of ego side of things, but... Um, 
we found as we went forward that we were more interested in the research and the stories around it. So now we've sort of put together a bit of a blend of both, where there's an element of visiting the location, maybe seeing if something will happen, if we could capture anything, but mostly telling people the history of the place and also the stories associated with it for entertainment value. Um, and we're focusing much less on wanting something to happen because we said from the outset, obviously, this is not um, fictional. We're not going to fake anything. We want people to trust us. So we're not going to sort of stand around in the dark and get scared by nonsense and things that aren't there. <laughs> <laughs> so. Which is so much of what those programmes are. Yeah. The research in the, in the show really, it really shines, actually. Um, and in, right in episode one, you guys make a promise that nothing will be faked. And it goes a long way, doesn't it? It really feels like, okay, well, if they do come across something spooky, I'm going to be, I'm going to take it that bit more seriously. Yeah, that's because nice you, to hear. You do point out when, when, when you do research on a story or a bit of folklore associated with one of the places you go to, if it's not real, you say so. Yeah. So yeah. like that story about, uh, there, you go to one location where there's a legend about Dick Turpin's ghostly horse. <laughs> yes. Yeah, and it turned out that the whole story about him having this horse came from a poem um, and sort of fiction that arose at the time and he never even had a horse by that name. So that was, <laughs> that was something we thought we'd really have to say that. So, Faye, who is involved in Ghost Trail and, and how, how, who, who's involved in this enterprise? So, essentially, it's me and uh, an actor friend of mine called Joe Hart. And we occasionally rope in other people to sort of guest or to tell their stories or in camera. Uh, but mostly it's, it's the two of us. And I must say, it looks very... It looks great. Um, visually and stylistically and in terms of editing, it, it starts strong and it gets better as the series goes on. Is this the first show that you guys have put together yourselves? You're both actors, but from, from a point of view of conception and scripting, editing, etc. Uh, absolutely, yeah. Um, but neither of us have produced before, uh, sort of especially not documentary. It's not something that I have a background with. So it's all been quite new. Um, I think we have used a lot of our industry experience um, in the process, but essentially we're new to it. So I think we've been sort of finding our feet as we've gone along. Yeah, and it, it does. It starts strong and it gets better as the series goes along. It, it develops a personality. Is oh, that, that's uh, that's nice to hear. <laughs> yeah. Just and, and you know, a lot of people. I would support any of my friends who were producing some some sort of content, uh, and I'd be happy to talk to them and promote them. But. Um, there's a lot of stuff out there where what people are doing is fairly basic, but it's enjoyable, right? It's people, you know, the, the classic podcast format, of course, is two nerdy guys talking about something nerdy. <laughs> and, and the classic YouTube format is somebody in their bedroom talking about movies or whatnot. And, and, and this show could have been that, but it's, it's, it's a lot more, isn't it? There's a lot more going on. Well, that's really nice to hear. Yeah. So, so I mean, the format is that you, you tend to choose a location each time and go there and it's like a little travelogue yeah yeah i think we've really enjoyed that side of things one of our favorite episodes to do was the mermaid inn in rye because i'd never been there before so it was almost we were able to kind of review the village as well as tell the stories and look into the history of it and it was a nice nice well-rounded experience is it, it kind of gives me the feeling of what what's sometimes called dark tourism which is when you oh, go yeah. somewhere because it has a reputation for... I mean, it, it can be kind of grim. It's like sometimes people will go somewhere because there was a massacre or a serial killer or something. But there's a lighter version of it. You go somewhere because there's a piece of folklore 
associated with it that you enjoy. So, for example, um, early this year, I went to see Borley Rectory, which was famous as one of the most supposedly one of the most haunted houses in England. That's on the uh, Norfolk um, or the Sussex and Essex border. Sorry. And I went to see um, Rendlesham Forest which is a the site of a famous British UFO case from 1980. And I just enjoy going to these places and feeling like you're having a little adventure because you associate it with something unusual or something that, you know, something exciting. So I feel like your show has a touch of that. Oh, yeah, that's, that's really nice to hear. I do, I know what you're saying, and I, I really enjoy the history side of it and just the thought that, you know, regardless of the paranormal aspect of it, the history that you're telling is 100% true and that actually happened where you're actually standing and it's yeah it's nice to think about that kind of thing yeah it does make a difference to the the most haunted type shows you're not hanging out there until something happens and if nothing happens we'll make something happen yes (laughs) it's not that kind of a it's not that kind of a show it's more like uh, more like a road trip almost a show yeah yeah road trip that that kind of nails it actually yeah i mean in our first episode we had something slightly odd happen with our tech and somebody did actually think that we'd faked that, which I was really concerned about. Hmm. Um, and obviously Joe set them straight because we didn't, but that made me so aware of, of making it really clear that we're not mucking around. And hmm. if something happened, it happened. Yeah, so uh, what's been the, the, the feedback has been very positive, hasn't it? You've got, you've got, I'm impressed with your numbers on YouTube. Oh, thank you. <laughs> and with the, with, the, with the hearing back from listeners. So tell us a little bit about how people have reacted to the show. So we've had um, some really, really nice comments. And we've had a couple of people host watching parties. That was something that happened no on way. Halloween. Yeah, no way. I was really, really touched by that. Um, there was uh, a girl in, uh, over in America had a hosting party, so all of her friends and her family came over and they all watched it together as a Halloween thing to do. Wow. Because uh, we deliberately released season one on Halloween so you could binge it. Right. And then season two, obviously, we've been keeping going, coming quite quickly because people are sort of asking for more content. Um, but yeah, that, that was really nice to know. And then we've had just really nice comments and really constructive feedback. Somebody said on the, the ghost stories episode where people send in stories, this is exactly how I like my ghost stories firsthand. Yes. Um, and there's been a, a lot of people saying that because obviously so many things are just stories drifting around the internet and you don't know who originally told the story and, you know, you can't really substantiate it. So it's kind of nice to hear it from the person who experienced it. Um, and a lot of people have enjoyed the history. That's been another one. Uh, going to places that are sort of well-known, but not too well-known, things that are new um, and a new take on a place they've already heard of. Those have also been things that people have come back on. So how do you decide which places to go to? Are you trying to avoid uh, places that are too well-known or that are overdone? Yes. Yeah, it's getting a balance. Um, We do really like going to places where it's very much local legends and folklore because that's maybe places that people haven't even... I mean, Baker Boy Lane, actually, our last episode, people outside of the area don't know about it at all. Hmm. Um, So I really enjoy that. Don't want to go to places that are too overdone, because then people just hit... You know, they're just hearing the same stories from us that they've already heard a hundred times from other people, which is less interesting. Hmm. Um, But I want to get some classics in there. I want to do Bawley Rectory. Part of that is just for me, but I also want to do it for the show, because I think we can't get away without covering but it's it's a, one of the things that elevates it above the sort of person recording in their bedroom style of YouTube. <laughs> uh, and, not, you know, a lot of people make good stuff with that. Uh, but 
one of the things that makes it feel like you say you bring your industry experience to this and it does feel like a, a legit documentary and one of the things that brings that is is the reconstructions oh thank you <laughs> do tell us a little bit about that um, we've had a lot of fun with our reconstructions. It's become, initially when we started out, because it was just the two of us, it, we just had to be the figures in the reconstruction out of necessity. Um, we've since had a lot of actor friends ask if they could come along, and we will be using them in the future for fun. But also, we've got to the point where we now really enjoy playing everyone in the reconstruction ourselves <laughs> and seeing how we can make it work, sort of either using tight close-ups of hands or covering faces. Lots of creativity with wigs. <laughs> um, I think my favourite moment was definitely season one when we had to make me faceless <laughs> because this ghost was reported to having no face. So I ended up with loads of tights over my face and then a hood on top of it and then this ridiculous wig. And we were filming outside Joe's, on Joe's street, so God knows what the neighbours thought, because it just must have looked so ridiculous. And I was struggling so much not to laugh that when we played it back, I was making a really strange raspy noise, which was actually quite spooky. <laughs> but she managed to filter it and edit it and make it look OK. But yes, that was, that was comical. <laughs> So, so Joe does the editing, is that right? She does, yeah, and she's insanely good at it. <laughs> yes, yeah, and the, and the music? Um, we have a composer, um, one of Joe's connections, called Peter Godfrey, and he very kindly uh, sent us over some music for season one, and he's also composed as a special Christmas track, which I haven't heard yet, but Joe loves it, and I'm very excited <laughs> to hear it. So what's your turnaround time? From How long do you spend when you're out on the, at the location and how long does it take to, in post-production? And So we filmed our last episode, we filmed last Monday and it was edited by Tuesday night and it was released on Thursday. That's a, so, that's a punishing schedule. <laughs> it is. We, we're aiming to get an episode a week out, which... You know, that's obviously quite a high bar and we're not going to meet it. I think sometimes it's going to be one every two weeks or if either of us is really busy with other projects, it might be less. But that's what we're aiming for at the moment. The turnaround time is pretty quick because uh, Joe is not only a brilliant, brilliant editor, but a very quick one. Ruthless, <laughs> so, maybe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, for such a good looking show, that's, you know, it's one thing to to do a stream of consciousness type show and get those out every week. It's another thing to do a fully edited um, you know, with, with transitions and music and titles and everything. it's I've done some of that stuff in the past. I know how long it takes, so I'm impressed. Do When you go to these locations, very often they are pubs or hotels, or do you talk to the owners or get permission to be there, or are you happy just to rock up and... Um, <laughs> is it, it, it guerrilla filmmaking? It is for the most part. Um... We do tend to sort of gauge it. Sometimes we talk to staff, not necessarily ask for permission, but we ask them if they've had an experience or we ask them about the history. And a lot of times they're really nice. We've had a couple of occasions where they've just volunteered to show us locked off areas or derelict bits or whatever. Um, I think that the age of social media has helped us because people mm. assume we're doing it for our Instagram stories or something. <laughs> so they don't get sort of too wound up about the idea of it being in, you know, ending up anywhere. And I also don't think they would mind too much because it's YouTube. Um, we're obviously not selling it to a network or anything. It's uh, sort of our personal project. But, yeah, we've not, we've not really asked. There was one place we did get permission for, the abandoned military hospital. That had to be quite official. Um... But a lot of places, we will either just climb in and wander around or just 
sneaky gorilla film on the phone. Excellent. So, so what, what kind of places do you want to hit up in the future? What's, on the, what's in the pipeline? Oh, we've got a very long list, um, <laughs> including different countries. Oh. So we want to do a lot over in Ireland. Oh, of course, yeah. Um, Lof- is Loftus Hall on the list? Loftus Hall is on the list. <laughs> yeah, wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and we've got a couple of places in Greece because Jo's been to Greece a lot and she knows a lot of areas. She's got family over there. So we've earmarked a few places there and lots of places around the UK. Um, some people have fed back things like, oh, you haven't done a castle yet. Can you do a castle? <laughs> and things like that. So it's always a vague idea of, right, well, we'll hit up a castle at some point. Um and we've got an exciting location in Lincolnshire coming up, which I'm looking forward to. Uh, but we don't tend to plan too far in ahead. We'll sort of we have vague ideas and outlines, but we'll only pick a location sort of a few weeks beforehand, usually. So um, I, I like the way you approach it as as folklore, which I, is how I often do. I I do take great interest in that period, kind of in the. 19th century, maybe up until the 1920s, when a lot of particularly British um, investigators, like around the time the SPR, the um, Society for Psychic Research, was really big. I mean, they're still around, but when they were, it probably felt like this was a strange new world that was opening up. And, um, you know, if only the scientists could find the right way to study it, they would they would find concrete evidence for all of this all of this stuff and as far as I see it, that didn't quite pan out that way exactly. But it must have been a very um, exciting time to have been around but then the other I do enjoy the other way of looking at it from, more from a, a folkloric point of view which I I feel is what most of the show is like to me and um, but you do you what you are um, considering adding a bit more of the stuff with the the tools and the gimmicks and the would you like to say anything about that yeah yeah I am actually I've got a, a sort of wish list of things that I'm curious about tech wise <laughs> I just really want to have a play around with them because I think it's one of those things obviously you can't sort of lab test the paranormal there's no sort of concrete way of testing these things um, so I'm just really curious to see if I got enough tech and set it all up at the same time if I could get <laughs> consistent and repeating results on the same or on different devices at the same time because that would be quite interesting I think probably a lot of it doesn't work but I'm still I still want to have a play around with it just for the fun of it yeah I think when I was a kid you know I saw Ghostbusters and I saw Poltergeist and in some part of my kid brain I just I just accepted that you know yeah. you know of course universities have you know parapsychological departments who you know, we'll, we'll come out to your house if you call them and, and bring all this case <laughs> and, and take readings. And, and I feel like a lot of the ghost hunting people on those shows, they, they sort of believe this as well. They kind of think, well, if we pull out some electronic stuff and use some science sounding words, then it looks like we're doing science. Yes. <laughs> and I, I don't know that that's really the case. I, I'm, it might be interesting in the show if you were doing that and, and like pull them out, bring them out and see what they do, I guess. And if you if you end up having to introduce the element a little ironically into the show, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't think that's. I think that could be quite a gimmick. Quite could be entertaining. Um, uh, yeah, um, from my point of view, I guess is I'm I'm more on the skeptical side of things, but I am interested, and obviously I'd be delighted to see something <clears throat> that seemed to be inexplicable. I feel like my personal bar is quite high. I think it would have mm. to be something very. Very convincing to me. And, and personally, I'm not into sort of orbs and that sort of thing. I feel like it's a pretty yeah. low... 
that feeling of going somewhere that's exciting to you because you've heard a story because maybe it's supposed to be haunted and you, you get yourself into that mindset and you're, you're excited to be there and you're in the mood and in the vibe and it's just like the icing on the cake then, isn't it? If, if something a little bit weird happens, yeah. <laughs> you're happy to interpret it as part of that experience, um, which to me is a, is a personal truth, if you like. And, you know, it's, it's, it's great storytelling. It's different. It's in, it sits in a different part of my brain to when I'm being yeah. scientific. <laughs> and, you know, if I really wanted to prove something was or wasn't the case. For you personally, what, what kind of things would, would tip the line for you? Um, so for me, I think I, I'm obviously a believer, but I'm quite sceptical about it. So generally speaking, I'll sort of maybe believe 2% of the stories I read and 98% of them I can think of explanations for why it might not be paranormal um what always sort of resonates for me is the the sort of stories you hear where information is exchanged that the sort of the person who's experienced the experience would not have known otherwise the sort of ones that there was one actually that um I was listening to the other day and it was something that happened on the tube and I know obviously the infrasound explains a lot of what happens sort of in places like that but there was this guy who had a conversation with what he thought was a, a person um, and they gave him very specific information and then when he called it in and the line was searched there was nobody there but the information that he'd been given was correct and it was information he hadn't had prior to speaking to what he thought was a human so those kind of stories interest me because there, there's some there's an information exchange there or the ones where people see something they've already assumed it's a person or it's just an everyday thing and then they find out afterwards that it couldn't have been. So the kind of ones where people aren't primed to see something, it's not the power of suggestion, there's no existing story and it happens out of the blue, those are the ones that really interest me. Um, the sort of, you know, half past ten in the morning, you're walking to the shops and something weird happens. Um, I always think, you know, when it's things like, oh, well, I was sleeping overnight in a castle that was probably haunted and there was a storm outside and you just start thinking, mm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, not to say that some of those, there's not something behind them, but, you know, obviously our, our brains are quite open to suggestions. So you have to sort of think about that yeah. as well. I, yeah, I, isn't there a documentary on YouTube about the ghosts of the underground? Where they folk, it's it's maybe ten years old now. I remember watching it when I was in college. At least it's at least that old, um, and they they come down heavily at that time on the suggestion of the the infrasound as a possible explanation for some things. Yeah. Um. I I actually looked this up recently, and I think some of that stuff is a bit out of date now. I think the idea that infrasounds can mess with your brain and make you feel like there's outside entities, I think that was a bit overstated. And, and I, I, I'm not up to date on this really, but I, I think I remember reading that some of that stuff was a bit overplayed and maybe it doesn't explain things quite the way they had mentioned at the time. But I, I do agree that I, I take a story more seriously when it doesn't happen within a sort of an existing belief framework. Yeah. Yeah, it's more persuasive then, isn't it? Yeah, if somebody wasn't expecting something or if what happens literally makes no sense because it has no precedent. Yeah, no, completely. Um... Yeah, I think so. And like like what you said earlier as well with orbs, a lot of the time that's obviously dust or it's moisture or it's just a camera fault. Um, but it's obviously very easy for people to, if they're, if they're already in a building that they think is haunted, attribute it to something else. Um, so it's, the, it's, yeah, it's the ones that really sit outside of that box. I think that's, that's why, you know, like you said, if someone's in a 
reputedly haunted house um, and they, they think they see the grey lady or something. <laughs> you know, British ghosts are always female and they always have a colour. Have you noticed yes. this in your research? Mm. There's always a grey lady or a brown lady or a green lady sometimes. Um, and they see that. That, that. that satisfies the kind of a storytelling folkloric part of the brain. But when somebody reports something completely out there that doesn't fit into, you know, the historical ideas about ghosts or the afterlife, that, like, I love the, the Mothman story from West Virginia in the 1960s because people started reporting this thing that was just, uh, like, a giant headless shape with wings and red, burning red eyes. And, you know, it doesn't fit into any category. No. It's not a ghost. <laughs> it's not a demon. It's not a UFO. What is it? So, you know, I'm not saying that means it's real, but immediately you've got my attention because yeah. <laughs> it's not fitting into some predetermined idea that people have. Yeah. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Are there are there some cases that you really really think do the do it for you that feel like? Yeah. Um. So my personal theory about the the grey lady, white lady, and so on phenomena is perhaps that a lot of people, and I think I've said this on one of our episodes, a lot of people don't know a lot about historical costuming. So there's probably decades and decades of history that if you saw something from those decades, they all get lumped into Victorian. Because <laughs> um, people are, probably wouldn't know the difference. And even Jo admitted that herself, because she's not into historical costuming, that if she saw a female figure in a long dress, she would just go Victorian straight away. And people associate the Victorian era with, that's with, the, great, yeah. the great resurgence of the ghost story. Yeah, so there's a really interesting connection there. Um, I mean, so far in terms of the cases that we've looked at, I've really, I really enjoyed the Mermaid Inn and Rye because a few different people reported the same thing separately, which always interests me. Um, and some of those stories as well were things that you wouldn't really come up with, I don't think, easily. Uh, like the fight that breaks out in one of the bedchambers in the middle of the night, and people have reported seeing two men in Tudor garb fighting each other, um, which is not sort of your usual, you know, spooky figure in a long dress, sort of <laughs> gliding across the room silently and disappearing into the wall. It's not really a traditional ghost story. Oh, look, they're having a punch-up. <laughs> yeah, it's a bit odd. Um, I really liked our very last one, actually, The Baker Boy, because we got onto that one because it was a friend of Jay's mum and her husband were driving home and saw him, assumed he was a living child that was lost on the road and then went to try and find him. And that's how we found out about that one. So I really liked that because they didn't think it was paranormal at all. They thought, oh, no, there's a lost child. We should go and make sure he's OK. Mm. Um, so, I, yeah, fascinated by that. So, so if if some paranormal phenomena might be real, are you are you are you partial to the idea that this is some sort of leftover of the personality, like like a soul or something, or are you kind of interested in the idea that it's more like a historical tape recording, you know, like the stone tape theory that somehow strong emotions leave a recording on the landscape that get played back, but it's not necessarily a, an animate, you know, it's not necessarily a personality. Yeah. Do you have um, thoughts on that? I'm actually on the fence on that because I can see the argument from both sides. I think that some accounts, when I've read them, it very much comes across as you're not dealing with a sentient being. You are very much dealing with a replay, residual energy and so on. But then other people's accounts, um, it, there's very much an interaction and there's information exchange. So then I end up being conflicted because assuming that some of both categories are true 
then it seems as if both of those things would be valid and maybe it happens in different ways. Um, maybe would maybe you could be dealing with both. You could be dealing with strong emotions, leave an imprint, or as the sort of tape recorder theory, and you could also be dealing with a scenario in which people are able to somehow communicate um, on different levels. Or, I mean, it could all be explained, I suppose, by time slips and time... Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, when things don't seem to be sentient, when they're just living out their own thing, they're still in their own existence, and you've just sort of slipped back there for a second. So there's that, I suppose, as well. That's something that I'm interested in. We're actually, we're hoping to do a lot on time slips, because we had a conversation about that. And oh, tell me more, because... I know I only know a couple of famous cases. There's the Versailles one from 1900. Yeah. Um, and there's there's a few dealing with the Second World War and air air bases and stuff. And you can tell tell me what you. Um. So got some of the mind. ones that I found the most interesting. Um. One actually happened in Kent, and it was just a very everyday thing where uh, this couple were out shopping, and the lady went to get a cup of coffee, and she went into a cafe, had a cup of coffee, went back, met her husband, and it turned out that that cafe had been closed down for years and wasn't there when she went back. Um, so it was just a very everyday kind of thing. And I think the people in the cafe were wearing slightly old-fashioned stuff, but apart from that, it was pretty normal. Um, and it just very much, the account very much reads like she just somehow managed to skip back in time very briefly and then back to where she was. And it wasn't this big dramatic thing, there was no battle, it wasn't emotionally loaded, it was just a weird thing. And, and time fascinates me anyway. The idea of sort of rewinding on, on the spot you're standing on and seeing everything happening around you for hundreds of years would be amazing, if it was possible. Um, so those little things, yeah, they really interest me. There was one in France as well, uh, where a couple stayed in a hotel for an entire night, and then when they went back, it wasn't there. Um, and there were lots of strange things happening over that night, like their money wasn't seen as valid and sort of strange things. And they thought, I think they thought that there was a renaissance fair going on because everybody was dressed very strangely. Um, they sort of ex kept explaining it away to themselves. And then when they went back to look for it, had to kind of admit that something was going on. Although on that note... Um, I, I have to admit, there was uh, years ago when I was involved in historical reenactment, there was like an overnight event at Ferry Carrig in Wexford, which is like a huge Viking reconstruction site. And there was an occasion where two guys from the local town broke in and saw everybody dressed as Vikings, <laughs> panicked, <laughs> and, and went running off screaming that they'd gone back in time. So maybe things like that sometimes, you know, could explain it. Yeah, also when I was... Uh, isn't isn't the show Vikings filmed around there? Yeah, that's, that's all over in Ireland, and, yeah. Uh, a lot of my friends from that area who were and are heavy metalers and mm. all have long beards and long hair, many of them... I know more than a few people who ended up being extras... In, in the show Vikings. <laughs> so that could explain it. Yeah, you never know, do you? If, if people maybe are a bit drunk and they wander, wander in somewhere and sort of, instead of thinking, this is probably a film set or maybe this is just an event, you know, they think they've gone back in time. But um, yeah, aside from that, I am very interested in them and the possibility that if there was some evidence for time slips, it could explain some of our sort of replay situations there was one in um i think again it was down in sussex a report uh, it was quite a repeated event and basically it was uh, a, a line of romans marching through a building no. <laughs> but with no nothing below the knee oh weird and it turned out because obviously the ground levels of ch had changed but the people that were seeing it had no idea 
what was going on until they got some historians to explain why none of these Romans had shins or feet. <laughs> um, so that was a bit odd. But that was another one where there was no interaction at all. People got walked through. They couldn't sort of mm. talk to them. It was literally, they were tra almost transparent and it very much just seemed like a, a tape recorder that's sort of wearing out. Well, when I was a kid, I had all of the Osborne books of the unknown. Yeah. They've actually been, they've come back into print this year. There was a, an online drive. Maybe it was a, a GoFundMe type thing. I can't remember, but um, some subsidiary of Osborne Books brought out, again, these books from the 1970s that were really popular with kids um, about ghosts and monsters and UFOs. And I distinctly remember, I used to get them out of the school library all the time. So we had a battered old copy in my school that was still around in the 1990s. Um, and I remember distinctly well, they presented all these like terrifying stories of ghosts, <laughs> like completely deadpan as in, yep, this is real. This, oh, they, you wow. Know, they, 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 they didn't present them as in, you know, some people say, or this is folklore or, you know, most scientists don't take this seriously. They just said, yep, uh, ghosts are real. Um, stay, be, be careful when you're a teenager because a poltergeist might get you. Um, I Seriously, I was terrified of this stuff. And they gave all this kind of pseudoscientific um kind of a flavor to it like they would say you know we now think that ghosts are probably they talk about the the recording theory which was yeah. kind of a hot new thing in the 1970s and they talk about in particular why do ghosts walk through walls and they they show um a floor plan for a victorian house and they say here's the floor pan for floor plan in like 1870 and mm. it shows like dots going of a person going upstairs and around the house and here's the floor plan in 1970 and it's changed a bit but the, the ghost still does its same route Yes. So therefore yeah. it looks to you like it's going through walls or if it's Romans and the ground level has changed, you can't see their feet. Yeah. <laughs> so I thought that was interesting. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I love those kind of stories where uh, people move into a building and that happens and they have no idea why it's happening until, like you said, they have a look at the floor plan. <laughs> or there was one that I came across the other day where um, their dogs the family's dogs wouldn't use the stairs and <laughs> used to go completely crazy about one part of the stairs until the stairs were remodelled and moved. Yeah. And then the, do the dogs were then fine going upstairs. So it's that kind of, yeah, no, it is a fascinating, fascinating theory. But I, I completely relate to that because I scared myself with, it was Reader's Digest, I think. <laughs> and it was a strange, strange occurrences book. And there was a whole section on spontaneous combustion. Oh, I was scared of that too, yeah. How were you? I, oh. I, I literally, but you, there's a lot of good stuff on Twitter, like things I thought when I was a kid would be a much bigger problem in real life. <laughs> yes. And it's usually stuff like quicksand. Or yeah. So, you know, things that are in cartoons a lot that happen to cartoon characters that don't really happen in real life. And like, I literally believed, I had a book um, of the unknown and there was a double page spread on spontaneous human combustion. Yeah. And there was a giant picture from a Charles Dickens novel. Oh. In some Charles, Di Charles Dickens was big into ghost stories and stuff. Yeah. And he had a character who spontaneously combusted. Oh. I can't remember the name of the novel, but I, I literally, again, I thought, uh, you know, in my life, I, I'll be lucky to escape possession, <laughs> poltergeist, or spontaneous human combustion. Yeah. I used to um, touch radiators to try and ground myself because somebody said, oh, maybe it's a build-up of static electricity. <laughs> and, <I> get... <laughs> and it was only when my dad said something about... Oh, have you noticed how a lot of those stories started with somebody drinking alcohol? Maybe they just spilt it on themselves and fell asleep by the fire. That kind of did 
yeah. take my anxiety away because I thought, oh, okay, maybe there's an explanation for all of these and I'm not going to burst into flames for no reason. <laughs> but that static charge build-up, again, there's that wonderful 70s... Um, take on the paranormal which is like desperately trying to rationalize it make it seem scientific mm. and i do feel like there's a there's a reason why at that point people stop talking about ghosts as like you know lost souls or whatever and they started saying well we still want to have our ghost stories but we're going to kind of science science them up and then they mm. came to, they came up with this idea of, of the the stone tape or the the recording theory which to me now is just as mystical and weird but to them they're literally proposing this as potentially a scientific take on it and I, I, I think it's just wonderful how the folklore evolves. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and obviously, you know, 40 years on, we're having a chuckle about it. But I just, it's, to me, it's a wonderfully elegant explanation. Yeah. And it sort of, it, like, it does make sense to me in that it explains a lot of the ways in which ghosts are reported to behave. Yes. A lot of the accounts. Like um, you said earlier, not including the ones that, like, give messages. Mm. But what about... You know, like ghosts who go in apparitions of I think crisis apparitions. I think they're called. Yes. Yeah, I read a lot about that. Um, oh, it was a book I read earlier in the year, and I'm trying to remember the name of it now. But um, there was a chapter on those, and the writer. I mean, the writer was clearly a skeptic. There were some things that he very much believed in, and then some things he just thought were a pile of crap. And that was one of them. And he went on about mass hallucination. Quite okay. a lot, yeah. And how some people would have said, uh, the, like the really famous one, the angel on the battlefield. That some oh, people, the angel of Mons. Yeah, yeah. I've just finished a great book on that. Actually, oh, have might, you? Yeah, yeah. I might lend it to you. Yeah, no, that would be really interesting because it was it was an interesting case. But he was basically saying that it started with obviously one or two people saying it, and then there was such high emotion yeah. that other people started catching it, yeah. and then they really thought they could see it too, and then it just spread, and that was the end of it. Yeah, I, I do. I mean, it, it's it's generally accepted that that the Angel of Mons was the supposed apparition of, um, I, depending on who's telling the story, either goat phantom archers. Yeah. from medieval battles um, or St. George or like like the spirit of St. George or uh, uh, like a phalanx of warrior angels appearing to aid the British army at uh, one of the, their first battles in the First World War at Mons in Belgium against the Germans and helping them out basically a supernatural um, aid against the, the dirty Huns and it's, yeah. it's generally agreed that it came from a short story by a, a Welsh writer named Arthur Mackin and he wrote a short story called The Bowmen um, where where the, the, the scenario originates from, but I think it's fair to call it a, a sort of a mass hallucination or a um, uh, yeah something like that because it did take off and people by the end of the war it was considered unpatriotic to question it in yeah. some quarters it was very much tied in with the Church of England and um, their promotion of it and and also with the British government having such a tight um, they had a tight net on all information about the war there was a lot of um, censorship at the time. Yeah, so a lot like, of crazy rumors spread. I find that those kind of stories, obviously, I, I'm very skeptical of them because anything where someone's making money or there's an agenda behind it, yeah, someone benefits from it being propagated. You have to start asking questions, and also I think when there are situations of high emotion or people are in danger, then I would also question what's going on 
because obviously, you know, your brain does weird things to help you survive, doesn't it? Yeah, so, yeah. <clears throat> and, and the idea of an objective sort of energy or whatever you believe is out there, taking your side in a battle as well, is it's almost, it's very <laughs> self-centered because, yeah, yeah. you know, who says it would take any side? It shouldn't really. It should just yeah. be floating around doing its own magical thing, not coming down and going, <laughs> yes, you are right. <laughs> you yeah. know, it's, yeah. yeah. But it's, it is a really interesting phenomena. Well, the... The crisis apparitions—they're too neat. This, like, as mm. as a story, it's always—it's it's it's like a Victorian short story writer, isn't it? It's like there's a beginning, a middle, and an end, where you know someone see someone sees their brother who's but aren't you supposed <laughs> yeah. to be stationed in India? You know, and then later on that day, I found uh, I received a letter to say that they had died in battle on that day. They're always like that. Yeah, and they're very neat, and they yeah. they don't they don't seem as messy as real life. Most so totally. I think a lot of them, from what I've traced, can. Yeah, no, that's really interesting. It's something I came across recently as well, um, and I haven't actually researched it yet, but I'm going to. It's called Third Man Syndrome. Have you heard about no. that? So it's basically, and I don't know why it's called third and not second, because <laughs> second seems more logical to me, but basically, it's that idea that if you're in a lot of danger, um, oh. your brain can produce a separate entity to keep you safe. Like in, like, mountaineering accidents and yeah, stuff? Have you heard so about those stories? Yeah, go, carry on. Oh, no, I'm not... It, that, that wasn't the story, the context that I had it in. The context I had it in was um, this sort of famous story that's sort of been doing the rounds online, and it's basically uh, this girl was in the woods and these two guys were trying to murder her, and she reported something running behind her, uh, beside her, like she could hear the footsteps, screaming instructions in her ear. So she followed all the instructions and it got her out safely. So obviously she interpreted it as this paranormal entity kept me safe. But some people then said, well, you know, it could have been that. Almost like a guardian angel sort of yeah. idea. And it makes you wonder then how many guardian angel stories could be explained by this, if it's an airtight theory. I don't know, I haven't looked it up. Um, I don't know to what extent our brain is capable of manufacturing an entire separate entity. I mean, there are various uh, psychological conditions that seem to do just that, aren't there? Yeah. There are a lot of great stories that uh, fit into that category from, you know, like this kind of golden age of mountaineering. Right. Uh, you know, especially in, pl in places like the Himalayas, when people were, uh, you know, from the 50s up until the 70s, a lot of these stories happen where there are climbers in really extreme circumstances. So they're incredibly high up in the Himalayas, and oxygen is low and they're very stressed and their bodies are being pushed to the limit and they think that they see another climber up above them or beside oh. them or below them and there's nobody else that could possibly have been back in the days before mount everest became an absolute farce and right. base camp is now like the it looks like a a summer festival to be honest yeah, glastonbury <laughs> yeah, it, looks like, it looks like a, a chilly glastonbury yeah um yeah i mean i think anything where your brain is deprived of oxygen yeah it's it's interesting, isn't it? Because your mind can obviously do all kinds of things. Then... I wanted to mention about the the time slips quickly, because yeah, to me that's part of an older generation of paranormal culture. A lot of the books I have from the seventies and the eighties would talk about those, right? Uh, books by people like Colin Wilson, and um, you know the Arthur C. Clarke books, like from from Arthur C. Clarke's Mysterious World and those kind of shows, um. And they tend to show them as like these kind of self-contained stories that don't fit into this. Here's a weird thing that happened. Yeah. And it's not connected <laughs> to any overarching uh, idea or conspiracy theory. And I, I don't see those stories much anymore in, in paranormal culture. I feel like now it's changing a lot. It's much more sinister, I think. There's a lot more, 
it's going in different directions, like either obsession with sort of demonology. Mm. Do, you know, do you see this? A lot of the shows now, you know, they, they don't want to just talk about ghosts. They want to make out like, oh, they're these horrible, evil yeah. demons. Or you're getting into like conspiracy thinking where like, you know, everything paranormal is tied into, you know, baby eating Hillary Clinton. <laughs> <laughs> that sort of thing. Yeah, it's really interesting you should say that because there's a, a show that I've been watching recently and the medium on that um he's always going on about demons and it's really strange <laughs> because the people you know it's it's basically the format is they go to someone's house or business or a building that someone has reported you know i can't live in this anymore it's haunted and they come to help and the owner will say something like oh well i'm trying to sleep i hear children running up and down the corridor and also my laundry basket keeps going on fire or whatever but they'll go in and they'll poke around in dark cupboards and the medium quite often will get on his EVP <laughs> and start going, no, no, we're dealing with demons. This is really bad, guys. Like, this is, this is so much worse than I thought. Um, and I was thinking, that is really interesting. Because where did that come from? And it seems to be, he's, ob- he's very obviously... Um, Catholic or Christian or it's like that's his belief yeah, system. So that's how he interprets everything. So everything becomes that. Um, but one of the episodes I think I enjoyed the most was, um, and this is going to sound really horrible, but they they were doing a check in. They do like a six week check in, sort of. Hi, have we helped you with your problem? And obviously, a lot of the time, the owners were like, Yeah, yeah, it's really great now. But these two owners just went, No, it's worse now. Actually, <laughs> you've definitely stirred something up. The house is awful. <laughs> you pissed off the ghosts. Yeah, you haven't helped at all. <laughs> Actually, your ghosts were Protestants. So <laughs> yeah, they, they were not impressed with your. They did not go towards the light. <laughs> no, they were not obs- impressed with your Catholic ceremony. Yeah. Um, so I, I find that really, really interesting because they're sort of going into the situation, but they're imposing a belief system yeah. on it. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, that's tough for me when, when, when a group of people are saying, "Hey, we're here to investigate," like in a mm. somewhat scientific way, and then they're like, "Oh, but we brought a medium." I'm like, yeah. You can't use one unproven thing to try and prove another. You know, it's like when the, when we're looking for Bigfoot. Oh, let's break out the tarot cards. You know, right, you know, it's, it's, you can't, you can't. <laughs> not really relevant. Yeah, um, they do. They do sort of make an effort towards saying that it's they're sort of testing him in that he's not supposed to know anything about the location before beforehand. Sorry, and so on. But it's also quite often so generic that there's no real <laughs> test there because he'll get there and say, oh, I sense a female presence watching me. I sense a darker male presence. I sense a demon. Oh, and there's children running around. And you think, well, you've kind of covered everything now, haven't you? So no matter what the historian says, you're fine. <laughs> I'm, I'm getting a name. It's Bringo. You're, <laughs> yeah. you're, you're looking for like someone in the audience to respond. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Cold reading is amazing, though. Like, mm. as a skill, people who are good at it, like, most people probably have seen that South Park where they, they exposed, I think, John Edwards was the psych, TV psychic who was popular right. in America, you know, in the early noughties. And they explain how, what cold reading is and how it works. But I think they, in order to explain it, you have to simplify it. Yeah. And I, that gives short shrift to, like, how good people are at this. You can get a lot of information out of somebody without them realising that they've given it to you, if you're skilled at it. You know, I mean, I've, mm. I've, seen, um, uh, I've seen Darren Brown live. Oh, have he's you? astonishing. What yeah. what I like about Darren Brown is I think he does a lot of the same things that the psychics does, but he goes and says this is not supernatural. I'm ju- I'm not going to tell you how I do it, mm. but I'm letting you know it's it's just mind tricks. Yeah, and and he he makes me realize quite 
how what a, what a range of amazing things the mind can do without it being supernatural. Of course, because I don't know how he's doing it, yeah. I have to take his word for it. Maybe he is. Maybe he is supernatural. <laughs> he's, he's basically a wizard. <laughs> yeah, he's basically a wizard and he's cheating by telling me it's all mind games. It, it is really interesting because I've... So I've been for a few different readings and I went to one person because people were saying this person's an absolute joke and I was just fascinated to see what nonsense would come up and a lot of nonsense came up. Um, including things that are geographically impossible. Because <laughs> uh, I checked with my flatmate at the time, he was a geologist, and she said, no, there will never be an earthquake in that location. <laughs> so that's shit. Um, and none of it's come true. And I've been to a few others out of curiosity, and if you dress really neutrally, yeah. take off all your jewellery, like, just basically give away no clues, don't react to anything they say. I mean, I just use my acting background, and I just poke a face <laughs> the whole time, yeah. and that you can see the, le- the the point at which they start to panic a bit, oh, and no. start just oh, saying no. really general things. Oh, I'd be so embarrassed. It's so awkward, and they always get it so wrong, like, because the last one I went to, they just start to make assumptions, and she just started going, you're going to make loads of money, and be really successful, and have a big house, and you just start thinking, yeah, mm okay, you've lost it now. Like, you just don't know what to do with me because I haven't given you a clue. And I think other people, obviously, maybe if they're approaching it with no scepticism in mind at all, like you said, they're totally... They're giving away little tells or they forget to take an engagement ring off or there's something... Like, my mum even said before... She used to go to mediums. She'd take her rings off a few days beforehand so there wasn't even a pale line. Because they could even, you know, yeah, because they could look at that and go, oh. I wouldn't have thought of that. Yeah, she had all these little tricks. They'd read me like a book. (laughs) Yeah. Um, All these little tricks so that they can't tell what you do for a living or, you know, anything by your styling, you know, even perfume. Like, there's obviously so many things you can think about that they could try and derive information from. It makes me think of, like, Sherlock Holmes when Mm, he he says to Watson, oh, he can tell where Watson, or some guy comes into the study and he can tell immediately where he works in London because of the type of soil that's on his boot, you know? Yes, exactly. <laughs> and you have to call them from a burner phone so they can't Google you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or from a landline or something. Oh, that's really interesting. Yeah. Yeah, it's so true. Um, I think some of them probably are amazing at it, at working it out. Uh, and then, you know, you do obviously hear... I, I know of a few that have said things to people that have been very, very specific and uncanny and it's all turned out to be true and I don't know how they do it. Um... And then I suppose you veer into whether or not you believe in tarot cards and how you believe they function, um, and whether or not we, our subconsciouses are capable of somehow, you know, feeding us back information on how our lives are going to go based on how we're behaving currently. Um, but people are obviously ascribing something else to that. Um, or, yeah. you know, thinking, Satan is telling me my future. <laughs> <laughs> this is dangerous. Anyway, to bring we'll bring we'll bring things to a close. We are running a bit long. Um, so the Ghost Trail is on yep. YouTube. Um, where do people go to find out more about it, or learn about it, or watch it? Besides just YouTube. Um, yeah. So at the moment, it's just on YouTube. You just put in the Ghost Trail series. Um, and we will love you forever if you subscribe and watch all our videos. Um, there's the shameless plug. We're also on Instagram, which is again at the Ghost Trail series. Um, and you'll know it's us because it's uh, two uh, actors, one with very red hair and one with changeable hair. <laughs> <laughs> and that's us. <laughs> um, and we do specify at the start that we're actors because we thought if people watched it and then Googled us, they'd think that it was all fake. So we're very open and transparent about that. So people aren't going to be, 
I looked her up on IMDb. She's an actress. <laughs> yeah. She's totally fake. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Do you have any other creative projects that uh, you'd like to mention that people could check out? Um, a Movies, lot. Uh, yeah, a l- I've got quite a lot on Amazon. Um, books. And, yeah, got all my books on Amazon as well. And I write under uh, FK Sewell just to separate it from my acting work. I'll put a link to that so. in, in the show notes. Mostly, oh, awesome, thank uh, you. Novels about pirate days. Pirates, yes, with the occasional supernatural undertone. Excellent. Yeah. Faye, thank you so much for coming on the programme. Thank you so much for having me. And we'll talk to you again. Bye. You've been listening to White Atlantic Weird. If you like what you heard on this episode, I'll put links to the Ghost Trail channel in the show notes so you can check that show out. And again, I know it's been some time between episodes this time around. I'm still annoyed about missing Halloween myself. But we have lots of great stories and investigations lined up for you, so do stay tuned. Or else I'll have to send my tame poltergeist round to mess up your kitchen. As always, we love listeners to write something weird or funny in the review section wherever you listen to your podcasts. Write whatever you want, as long as you give us five of those lovely stars so that more people can find our show. We're also on Twitter where we're at Strange Ireland, so go find us there and retweet the ever-living heck out of us so that more people get on board with what we're doing. And finally, if you think that I'm too much of a boring-ass sceptic, well... Go ahead, send us in your own inexplicable happenings, your own strange stories, to try and change my mind. We promise to believe you. Just remember that extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence. Or at least a really good story. That's it for this episode, and thanks for listening. <laughs>